I just have been thinking about a, a, a dynamic that the Lord's been speaking to me about. I thought about um, 2020 and our meeting in the beginning of the year and how we could feel the stirrings and the movement of something coming in that year. Uh, and, but we couldn't see it. You know? And then in 2021, you ministered that word about a bow drawn back and an arrow shot forward. You know, We saw what God did in 2021. It's, it's been a lot of movement. But I, I was praying before the meeting and I started to think, the Lord just kept speaking to me, trust. You know? And, and I, uh, I, I asked the Lord, what are you trying to speak to me? And I felt like the Lord spoke to me how, you know, what He wants from us is a whole other level of trust. Because if he could have told us in explicit detail what was going to happen in 2020 and what was going to happen in 2021, would we have believed it and could we have borne it? You know? And I know that the Lord doesn't always reveal everything to us, and that's not his purpose, but I felt like God just started to really convict me over the last couple days that if we would increase our trust in God, then he would give us a clear insight into what's coming and we would be able to prepare for it but if we if we're going to throw it back and forth with fear and doubts and can we handle that and is that really true then then he's going to withhold that word from us for our own sakes and i just that's what the lord's been impressing upon my heart uh for this year lord increase our trust in you so that we can hear uh your word and and, and not fall into fear and doubt amen, amen. Really much in line with what Brother Simeon sharing, uh, just thinking about 2021 and how it's unfolded a little different than we might have expected, and in the obvious ways, but then in, in other ways, and uh, as involves uh, the entire ministry, as involves things that you know, maybe in our lives, particularly myself, and just thinking about how so much of the time God leads us by a way that we would not expect. You know, it's very rarely that things unfold the way that we expect. And I was thinking about, you know, there was a very direct path from Egypt to the Promised Land, and that is not the path that God led. And, you know, over the years I've wondered why, and I don't know why I ever thought of, never thought of it before, but it's like if they had gone by the direct path, there were seas to part. There were enemies to drown. There was great things that God wanted to accomplish that never would have happened. You know, they didn't know that the Egyptians were going to pursue them, but meeting them in the Sinai Desert would not have been a very good plan. You know, and I just, you know, thought about that scripture that says, you know, the Egyptians that you see today, you shall see no more. And as God's plan and will unfolds, I just feel like it's just that desire to absolutely trust completely trust what God is leading, the ways that seem opposite to what we thought things were going to unfold, and let God bring spectacular victories that we would not have ever dreamed of. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, about how when I minister, I think it was this year, on agape, um, one of the definitions that was given was to meet urgent needs. I thought that was a potent definition of love, but so exactly what it really feels like, meeting urgent needs. And, um, you know, there's an indifference that pride and 
selfishness wants to settle upon us that could just care less. But when you really catch a glimpse of what God is doing, of what is at stake, therefore, both for good and for bad, you, you slough off the indifference and you come into this place that says, it's got to happen, God. Amen. It's got to happen. And um, I've shared it before, but you know that, that compulsion defines my life. Anything good that has ever come has come through that compulsion that says, oh, it's got to happen. One way or the other, it's got to happen. You know, we can we can hide behind other people's gifts and we can say, oh, so-and-so is better at this than me. Or, and sometimes you really can do that and, and it, it'll work for a while. But when you really see that what God is doing is not merely the exposition of a truth, or it's not merely the display of a powerful gift, but it's primarily the interconnected orchestration of all the parts, then you can have the best gifts in the world, but without the whole orchestrated together, it's still a dud, it's still a failure. He's not looking for the hand to slap its knee and say yes. He's not looking for the corpse, for the scattered bones to start twitching in the hand only. The whole thing has got to come together. And His voice will come through this one and His gifts through that one. But the whole has got to come together. And when we see that, then nobody is left outside that sense of urgency. I think of how in our talks at the fair, Brother Zach and I both appealed to the O-liner study and um, my reason for doing that in my talk was <clears throat> we were trying to say that the standard conventions that humans turn to for change don't actually historically bear the weight of the greatest transformations. Instead, salvation came to a people not in a conventional form as from a government or army right, politics, but they came through small societies and people with, with convictions belonging to small communities. But one of, the, one of the hallmarks that Samuel Oliner said defined the people who acted and were not paralyzed by fear was they had not lost their sense of personal agency does that make sense to you? And by agency, he meant a duty to act. And if you lose, if we become so big, either as a ministry team, or as a church, or as anything, if we become so complacent in our size, or in the greatness of some gifts, or in the need for others, that we lose that sense that something hangs on me individually, then the kingdom will not advance. That's one place where the glory of God can't rest. 
And if there is, if the if the bones have risen up, and breath has come in, and sinew has pulled them together, and flesh is upon them, but there's one area of paralysis. You know, how is that the miracle? How is that the fullness that we seek? Do you understand? Yes. You think about what nerve damage does to the body. How the the whole body is fearfully and wonderfully made, but damage in one key place on the body causes paralysis below. Every, everything below that point is paralyzed. And what a tragedy. You say, oh, but it's just such a small, it's just this little, you know, pin dot of problem. But if it's in the wrong place or the right place, the ramifications are, are terrifying. And I guess one of the burdens I want to lay on our hearts before we leave tonight is God help us. You will not grow in your ministry until you know that some divine purpose depends on you. Now, that doesn't mean that it won't happen without you. He can pick somebody else. But until he does, you're the blockage. Do you see? As surely as you're the potential for the solution, you are the potential for the problem. We all are. And it's this, this attitude that we're so addicted to and that we're so inclined toward. It says, oh, somebody can teach better than me. Oh, somebody can pray better than me. Oh, somebody can sing better than me. And we also know that there's ambition in our hearts. So the fear of not wanting to move in selfish ambition combines with the fear of somebody else can do it better. And we stay paralyzed. But if we glimpse what God really has in mind, oh, we are robbed, we are stripped, we are denied that complacency of indifference. Amen. I, I, I know that for myself, you know, there's, a, there's an incredibly comforting feeling to be at a pivot point in God's divine purpose and be in the company of people who I know do not afford themselves that luxury of indifference, that disengagement. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just such a comfort because I don't afford myself that. And to be around people who do can be very aggravating at times. But to be around people who don't, you know that there's at least one. Okay, now two, now three, now four, now five. But what if we all shook it off? What if we all came with the sense that it's possible something could hang on one word, on one prayer, on one action? that I could participate in, in this meeting, or in this setting, or for this person. Amen. I, I look back at the wonderful season that God gave us with the Chalice brothers and sisters in this room. And I remember, you know, pouring our hearts out with a lot of teaching, a lot of answering, a lot of exposition. But some of the most potent pivot points were when Brother Gabe would say something about can't even remember it. But I know you were standing right here and everybody believed it. <laughs> and Sister Amanda would make a comment. And Do you see how the body works? Well, sometimes we just sell ourselves short. And, and 
It may be in, in fulfilling a, a responsibility that nobody even is aware of. And that's also important. It, having the right attitude for a husband who's called to minister in that way. That, that can be the difference. You truly do get his reward if you have that right attitude. You know, uh, just serving or meeting a need for someone who needs to be freed up. So all of it matters. But let's just say that in the meeting context, once we're here, None of us should excuse ourselves. If we want to be people of faith, we got to unlock our brains. We got to unlock our possibilities. We got to look around with more faith and just see what God is going to do. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the fastest road to unhappiness, and I've said this several times, but the fastest road to unhappiness, the surest marker, is someone who has. Way too clear uh, prognostications and projections of how their life should be. Whenever someone really knows how it should go, oh boy, they are going to be miserable. Because life is just so much more nuanced and nebulous and lively and springy and hard to get a hold of than that. And you're going to have to be able to flow with the punches. You're going to have to be able to get some surprises and, and enjoy the mystery of trust. Amen? So anybody who's too forecasted, oh boy, that's going to go bad. It's just a matter of time. But, so, so there's always this danger that our forecasts are the driving force in our life. Our ambitions, but it's really just our bulema imposed on the world, right? You know what bulema is, right? Design, plan, will... Okay, so we got this bulema. Oh, God, help us to sh shatter that bulema. It's garbage. It doesn't have anything to do with God's will. But we have this notion of how we think it ought to go. And so we're trying to shoehorn every event into that. It's never going to fit. Amen. It's like that elephant trying to get in the teacup. If you hear what I'm saying, like, okay, I've got this clear vision of what I'm supposed to be in. I'm just going to go ahead and shoehorn it. No, that's not it. That's not it. That's not going to work. You've got to get to a place where you say, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to be, and I really don't care anymore. I really don't care. I'm not going to focus on what this means for me, on how this indicates who or what I am or what I'm supposed to do. I don't care. All I'm going to say is, is there an urgent need? Can I meet it? Then I have moved in agape. I have moved in love. I have found the more excellent way. That's it. Everybody who gets stuck going into their gifts. I don't know how to move forward in my gifts. That's because you're trying to move forward in your gifts. Forget your gifts. Quit your gifts. Never think of those dumb gifts again. <laughs> Just open your eyes and say, where's the most urgent need? And meet it. And you're going to reach, lunge toward that need, and someone's going to go, whoa. He's really kind of gift in that. And you're going to go, what? Me? No. But you probably do. You probably do. I remember saying back in the, in the early time in the front chapel, you know, it's beautiful to get five different people in a room and they, they all encounter the most urgent need and the pastor says, I'd like to talk with him privately. And the evangelist says, if I could just give him some faith. And the prophet says, I got a word that I feel I could open the door for him. And the worker of miracles says, let's pray right now. Do you understand? 
they all see the same need, and they all reach. And the hands that they connect with are their gift. They don't even realize it, but the hands that they connect with are their gift. But it's just love. Gifts are a waste of time. Chasing gifts, wondering about gifts, trying gifts, test driving gifts, Amen. scraping along. It's just, oh, God, free us from it, please. Amen. 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 We just need to say, Lord, what's the most urgent need? I can help with that. I can do that. Amen. And Lord, divest us. Truly help us to give to you and let go of these panicked, I just hope this happens. And I'm, just, I'm really hoping that this can take place. And, the Lord would say, Martha, Martha. <laughs> you know, I would say, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, we got to let that go. And we just got to know that God loves us and needs us if we're helping him meet urgent needs. Amen. We're driving down the highway today and a car, one in front of us, went off the interstate and tumbled rolled, all the way down to the base of the creek below. And it was amazing. Instantaneously, from a median that was probably 100 yards wide, cars screeched to a halt over there. Cars pulled over over here. We pulled over. And this swarm of people descended on this car. Praise God, she was fine. How many prayers were uttered from unpraying people? And how much love grabbed hold of their lives and pushed them toward the need? Because there was an urgent need. And if we saw how urgently people needed Jesus, it would mobilize our gifts, our grace, our love, our lives. The devil wants to make a fool out of you. He wants to build this construct that nobody can fill and then try to fit you into it. When you don't fit into it, say, see, you don't fit. You know. And he'll compare you against people because he knows that's not wise. That's the fastest way to make you stupid. So Paul says it's not wise to compare yourself amongst yourself. So it'll always be, well, I'll never be a sister of Gina. You know, I'll never be a so-and-so. You know, well, none of us will because we're all unique. Uniquely bad and uniquely good. <laughs> but most importantly, we got a unique way to help that urgent need. Amen? And, and if we just let love grab the driver's seat, grab the driver's wheel, it's going to happen. <clears throat> Somebody says to me, well, you come to meetings and you know all the problems. That's why you act like that. Well, you got enough problems of your own to know that everybody else got problems too. <laughs> so, yeah, that's partly true. That's partly true. Do you, would you like me to start telling you all the problems? <laughs> no. But you do. We all know we're all adequately acquainted with human nature. And when you start to struggle with something, if you wouldn't look at that struggle as a selfish problem, as something only you're going through, but if you would even look at your own battles and say, Jesus, I'm going to help somebody else with this. Amen. You'd come to the meeting and be like, whoa! I can't believe they read my mail. And you could stand up and say, well, it's because I read mine. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you with my problems instead of becoming a black hole. Amen. I don't know how to counsel. What do you think my mom knew about counseling or being a pastor's wife at 
22 when she moved to East 14th Street. What do you think she knew about being a revivalist when she started at 19, traveling with, with Dad? She opened every meeting for him, got up there and began by giving a word of faith. They'd ask her, do you play? No. Do you play the organ? No. Do you sing? No. What do you do? I testify. And every single time before he preached revival, she would stand up before him and speak a word of faith. She'd pray in a different part of the city than he did oftentimes. They didn't compare notes. They just trusted God. But you know, she had an acute sense that there are urgent needs in this room because she knew the mire that God had dug her from. She knew the problems that she had battled and won, overcome. Amen? And get out of yourself. Acknowledge everybody in the room is just like you. But if Jesus can help you, He can help them. And if He's helped you, you ought to be able to help them. What did He say to comfort? With the comfort wherewith we have been comforted? My burden is shed the stupidity that lies to you and comforts you in your complacency and tells you you're not needed because somebody else better has it. If you don't watch it, that'll become the truth. Does that make sense? That's what you don't want. God will raise up someone who has less esteem of themselves, less protection of their image, and they will do it. He could only find four lepers turn the siege of the city into a great victory and the windows of heaven opening on that particular occasion. Do you remember? And it was because he found people who were not hogtied by their fears and what if and blah, blah, blah. They just did some math. It's like, well, you know, stand here, dead, trying, probably dead, but, you know, there's a less than 0.1% chance. Let's try it. Because there's a 100% chance we die if we stay here. Amen? That's good math, I'm telling you. <laughs> and you say, well, that doesn't sound like faith. Hey, listen, whatever gets you off your seat is faith. If it's, if it's bad math, good math, or whatever it takes, whatever gets you out of your slump is faith in God's will. We've got to move forward, brothers and sisters. That arrow has gone. And look what God has done. Look at the brothers and sisters He's added to us. When we served communion this spring, they had to add 200 cups to what they normally serve because of how many the Lord has added through baptism. Amen? Look what the Lord has done. You know, when... when when Harry Argo, a graduate of West Point, calls Brother Howard and says that he's just read um, Unplugging from the Matrix. He says, I've never read anything like this in my life. He's a graduate from West Point, but he's now lecturing in Anabaptist circles all over the place. God is opening doors. Brother Howard and I received an invitation to come and present a, a, a talk and a paper at Gershon Graduate School of Theology at their symposium this, uh, this February. Let's pray for us. Everywhere we look, there are doors opening. Somebody saw Brother Zach's YouTube, uh, some seminar on YouTube and sent him a book. And this guy has got some profound insights. We look at the back and the man who did the forward is Alan Carlson. 
and 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 one of the other guys is uh, Paul Gauchi, <laughs> husband of my mom's forty-year-long friend. So the Lord is networking. The Lord's pulling things together. Amen. We need to pray that He opens doors that the wily devil can't shut. Amen. Amen. We are determined to get over and edify our communities abroad. And we're determined to plant some more. Amen. Amen. And, and we're itching to do that. And we're unwilling to move in the flesh. We're, but we're determined Amen. to do God's will. Amen. Amen. And we just need to pray right now that this stupid Omicron or whatever the name of it is goes away. Amen. And that the Lord opens a door that no man or cold or virus can shut. Amen. 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 We need to focus on it. But we, we've just turned a corner. Amen? Let me, let me just say one thing. Donald Rumsfeld, who was Secretary of State during the heat of the Afghanistan-Iraq wars, in his memoir, he said that the hardest thing he ever faced in his life was the fact that despite the Pentagon's commitment to running endless scenarios, imaginative scenarios for conflict and preparing exigencies to match those imaginary scenarios. He said the problem was you don't know what it is that you don't know. And it's kind of this dead end. That's the punchline of his book. It's kind of like because he's basically saying you're not omniscient you don't see the end from the beginning and you want to say but there's somebody who does Amen. Amen. do you understand Amen. and I feel like <clears throat> across the spectrum if you look at the greatest tragedies in Christian or in the history of God's people, those tragedies were anticipated by the word and directive grace of God. Amen. But the deaf did not hear, and then they asked God where he was. Amen? I shared about it earlier this year. I went, Brother Howard sent me an article, and I read another one and sent it to him, about how Viciously, the Jewish societies in Europe persecuted the Zionists. They believed that the Weimar Republic represented the Jewish people's emancipation at last. And they excommunicated those who were saying we have to go to Zion. Do you understand? Zionism said to the Jewish population, you're sucked into intelligentsia. You're professors. And you're into music theory. And you're artists. And you're jewelers. They said, get out of that. They said, learn a trade that an actual nation depends on. Become a plumber or a builder. Learn a trade. Learn something practical. Learn how to farm. Learn how to milk a cow. Do you understand? So Zionism said, stop all that stuff. Doesn't matter how much is, money is in it. Get out of it. Prepare for real life in a hostile environment. And they hated it. So much so that they would expel them. They would 
excommunicate him. It's like putting him out of the synagogue, except it was a secular society. But the, the European Jewish Congresses, the European Jewish societies would excommunicate. They despised the Zionists. Less than 3% of Jews were Zionists before World War II. Less than 3%. And Theodore Herzl, Heim Weissman, Jews, where are you? Do you understand? And then, and then Elie Wiesel has the temerity to say, God, where were you? He was in a pamphlet called Jews, Where Are You? Where Were You? And it's the same with the Armenian Holocaust. When the Turks slaughtered the Christians, you know the story. Dima Shakarian and the whole story of how they were, how God anticipated that. And they moved in God's timing. Amen. And the, the, I think of even this pandemic. How many of you know that in 2005, George W. Bush read a book about the Spanish plague of 1919. And he was so profoundly moved that he, he established a department of pandemic response. Did you know that? And did you know that he built warehouses where he stockpiled ventilators, cots, and all the materials that we ran shortages of? Did you know that? And did you know that he spent tens of millions of dollars doing it? put Anthony Fauci, incidentally, over it, and had him run scenarios of what this would look like. This was 2005. But lo and behold, he was no longer president in 2009, and Barack Obama says, yeah, that's not practical, and he canceled the whole thing. And Barack Obama is president for eight years and looks like he did the right thing because nothing happened, right? But it's not until the next guy comes into power. You see, you can't arrive at the right course of action through reductive reasoning. You just can't. You've got to have some input from a God who sees the end from the beginning. I actually think Bush was getting an impulse from God. I truly, honestly think that that's what was happening. That's just too coincidental. No president's ever done that. And then he does that in 2005, 13 years before this thing breaks out. It's interesting, isn't it? Amen. Okay, so, but look what God's done for us. What, what has he spoken that may not come to pass in Brother Blair's lifetime? And it may not come to pass in my lifetime. But will it come to pass in my children's lifetime or their children's lifetime? You see, God has set us on a course we're not going to fully realize the, the impact or the advantage, the reward of that obedience in the here and now. Amen. But we trust his voice, Amen. we trust his leading, and we know that if we start preparing for Zion, someday it's going to look like the most obvious, responsible choice anybody ever made. Amen. When your great-grandfather left for Zion before the ghettos and concentration camps were being built, his parents, who were Jewish, were so angry with him. They were so horrified that he would do, that he would ruin his life, as they put it, that they laid down in front of the train tracks for his departure. And then they mourned for him seven days in darkness and sorrow. Because it looked bizarre in the setting where, when he did it. But a couple years later, it looked like the most responsible, wise Amen. thing anybody could do. So what I'm saying, 
the, the events of 2020 and 2021, they should have changed. I think it's the Lord saying, guys, look at what you've been doing through this lens. Now how does it look? Oh, it makes a lot more sense, God. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Think about everything we've been doing as a people. Homeschooling. Home birthing. Independent medical. Independent food uh, sourcing. Amen. Every single bit of it. Look at it. And then go 2020, 2021. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Amen. But that's just one little twist of the lens. What, what's coming around the corner? And I pray for peace and prosperity. I pray for tranquility. I pray for that this is just smooth as glass. But we can't count on that. And especially if it is, if it returns to normal. Can we be faithful? Can we be faithful to stay the course, knowing that we have heard, we have received a vision that sees the end from the beginning? Do, do you follow me? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So when God tells us it's time to move, we don't need to dabble at it and then a year later say, well, we thought it was time to move. Look, there are windows that are going to close. We'll never get them back again. When God tells us it's time to move, we have got to believe that the agency to make the difference falls on us. Amen. And if we do that, we'll be part of an exciting advance across the spectrum and the realization of the kingdom of God. And if we don't, we're going to reproach ourselves and God is going to reproach us for having neglected so great a salvation. And this can refer, this most certainly refers to spiritual things, and gifts of grace and word and gifts of the spirit, but it, but it also refers to practical things. I'm not sorry we had started pushing and striving with the farm before this all came. Look how it just became a tailwind and said, guys, you're doing the right thing. Appreciate it, Brother Grady. I know it's not easy. I really appreciate it. But we got to keep doing that, brothers. We cannot let... It says that Samuel, not a word that he spoke would fall to the ground. When God is speaking and words are falling to the ground, people are going to be regretting it in the years to come. I shouldn't be amazed at everything that's been shared so far. Uh, but I, I guess I am on... Christmas Eve, God spoke something to me very clearly, and he told me that it was for New Year's Eve, and I felt not to say a word about it until New Year's Eve, and um, <laughs> I hardly need to say anything now, <laughs> uh, but I was, I was thinking back uh, to the meeting that, that's already been referenced and the word that God spoke to us in that meeting about you know, 2020 being the year that the bow was pulled back, 2021 being the year that the arrow was released and shot forward. And I had a lot of similar feelings to some of the things that have been shared, some of the things that Sam shared, some of the things that Simeon shared. Um, I was thinking about all these different things, and I, I told God, I said, you know, great things that happened. We recounted some of them. I mean, personally, my... I had a son get baptized, I had a daughter get married. It, it was a memorable year for a lot of reasons, and there were a lot of difficult things too, but I, um, I told God, I said, it wasn't what I expected. It was not what I expected. I, I remember, I think I was sitting pretty much right here that night a year ago, and I remember anticipating things, feeling things, 
feeling excitement, feeling maybe some relief, like, wow, 2020 was brutal, but if this is the year that, you know, something good happens, bring it on. Uh, feeling that way. But I, I was outside, and we were, we were going to go out of town the day after Christmas, so I was cleaning some stuff up, and, and I was telling God it wasn't what I expected. It just wasn't what I thought. And he said, well, he, he spoke this to me, and we've heard it many times, but just listen to one thing that God... Uh, illuminated for me in this story because the story that came to me when I thought of the bow being pulled back and the arrow released was when the king goes to Elisha and you're, you're we all know the story they shoot the arrow out the window and he tells him to shoot but listen to what he tells him after the arrow is shot out the window in, in light of what Brother Ossie's just been ministering to us about meeting those urgent needs he says, the arrow of Yahweh's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Apac until you have destroyed them. And you know, I've thought about that king taking those arrows because the very next thing he tells him is take the arrows and strike the ground. And I thought, that's kind of a hard thing to know what to do with. You know what I mean? Like, just okay, here, strike these and... He didn't do the right thing, we know that, but, but what I know to do different, and it wasn't until this, this time that I read it that I realized Elisha had already given him the secret. You must keep striking the ground. You must strike until. Not you must strike the ground until you think you've given it a good effort. Not you must strike the enemy until you can satisfy your conscience that you gave it a good old-fashioned try. Not you must strike the enemy until somebody comes along that's better than you. Not you must strike the enemy so you can say, well, I did my duty and now can I go home? You must do it until the victory comes. It's not optional. It's not something that you can play with. It's not something that you can think about. These windows of opportunity, you've got to do it when you get the chance. You've got to do it until something happens. You've got to do it until something changes. And I, I thought about things in my life. I thought about things as a, as a group, a collective, us here in this room. I thought about things as a body and things that I don't even know about that I couldn't imagine that I know God is going to want to do in this coming year. And I said, God, we've got to be people that will strike until. We've got to be people that will strike until it happens. Whatever it is that needs to happen. If something needs to happen in me, God, I'm going to keep striking until there's a victory. If something needs to happen in my brothers or my sisters, we're going to keep at it until it happens. If it needs to happen on the farm, we're going to keep at it until it happens. If it needs, Because you know what happened to that king? You know, I thought about Elisha. He, he got mad at that king. He got angry at that king. And he said, you should have kept going. But you know, he came from a school... He, he came into his ministry from a man that when he received a promise from God that yeah. said, Raymond is coming, That's right. he went up on a mountain and said, okay, we're going to start hitting the ground. Amen. We're going to start praying until. Amen. We're not going to stop it three times and say, well, God, you know, whenever you're ready to send it, please do. He's not going to go back and say, well, maybe some other prophet should go who's more gifted in praying for rain because I've done it six times now and nothing's happened. He kept at it. And he knows, Elisha knows what would have happened to him if he didn't have that attitude, when Elijah says to him, you can receive a double portion, but you better stick with me 
until the end. And then he says, why don't you just stay here? No, I'm not staying. Okay, well, what about here? No, I'm not staying. We're going to keep at this until something happens. And so he looks at this king and he says, you, you could have done something better with yourself. You could have done more than just get a few victories. Because you know what goes on to happen is he does. He gets a few victories. He even takes back some territory. But in the end, he ends up making a peace treaty with, with, with that king. He gives away all the consecrated things. And he's just a loser. He completely loses out on what could have been in his life. And everything's a big waste for him. We're not going to be this. If, if, if 2020 was the year that the bow was drawn, drawn back, and it was, and 2021 released the arrow of God's victory and deliverance, then 2022 is the year that we are going to strike the ground until whatever victories need to happen, happen. Whatever mountains need to move or move. Whatever things that are impossible become possible. Whatever things have to happen, happen because we must strike the ground until we have received a victory.